We read God's word this morning in Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace." What then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey his servants ye are to whom ye obey whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness? But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. 
Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members' servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members' servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thus far we read God's holy word. Our text is verses 12 through 14. 12 through 14. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. Beloved, in this chapter, the apostle has set forth the truth of our salvation. He tells us something we don't often think about. We are, says the apostle, dead unto sin, or we have died unto sin. We were, before we were regenerated, dead in sin, totally depraved, under the power and bondage of sin. And then we died. We died in Jesus Christ, and now we have died to sin. We die to sin because Jesus died for us on the cross and we died in him. And then Jesus rose again from the dead. And we rose with him and so we are alive unto God. That's the teaching of this sixth chapter of the epistle to the Romans. And then in verse 11, the apostle summarizes what he has taught thus far. Verse 11, likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, 
but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because of what you are, reckon yourselves to be such, or view yourselves in that way. It's not here, pretend to be something that you're not. This is not a reckoning of unreality. This is a reckoning of what is really true. We are indeed dead unto sin. And we do indeed live unto God, or we are indeed alive unto God. And having set that forth then, the apostle begins to apply it in the rest of the chapter. That is his usual practice. First, he explains the doctrine. That's the first 10 or 11 verses. And then he goes on to apply that doctrine to our lives. If we are dead to sin, And if we are alive unto God, here's the question. How shall we live? And more specifically, which king shall we serve? Because in this text, the apostle uses the figure of someone reigning or someone ruling as a king. Which king are we going to serve if we are indeed dead unto sin and alive unto God. Will we serve sin? We used to serve sin. Or will we serve Jesus Christ, who is our new and rightful ruler? Notice then, not letting sin reign in us. Not letting sin reign in us. Notice first the prohibition, then the command, and finally the encouragement. In verse 12, the apostle speaks of someone or something reigning or ruling. Let not therefore sin reign. And that verb to reign is the common word used of a king. To reign is to exercise kingly power. Think of a king who has sovereign power, who sits upon a throne. He holds a scepter in his hand. He has servants who do his bidding. He wears a crown upon his head. His word is law. Think of someone like Pharaoh or Nebuchadnezzar in the Old Testament. They reigned or ruled as kings. In the text, the one who is ruling or the one who may not rule or reign is sin. Verse 12. Let not sin, therefore, 
reign. If you turn back to the previous chapter, the end of chapter 5, you'll see, verse 21, sin hath reigned. That was in the past. Sin used to reign. But now, verse 21 also says, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. And so sin used to rule or used to reign as a king. And now grace rules or reigns as a king. And of course you understand that the apostle here is writing figuratively. Sin is not a person who actually rules, but sin is a moral principle. Sin is a principle of rebellion against God, the principle of wickedness. And sin as a principle reigns or rules like a king. It does so in the ungodly. It dominates a man's thinking. It enslaves a man's will. It controls a man's heart. It bewitches a man's affections. It works in man's body so that he is ruled by sin and is totally depraved. That's the wicked. But now the apostle writes to Christians, to the Romans and to us, and says, let not sin reign. When a king is crowned, the people will cry out, God save the king, or long live the king. About sin we must say, let him not reign. Or we will not have this king rule over us. Do not then allow sin to dominate your thinking. Do not permit sin to enslave your will. Do not allow sin to control your heart or to bewitch your affections or to rule in your body or to sit upon the throne of your life, exercising power, holding a scepter, as it were, wearing a crown. Let not sin reign. Now, before we continue, take notice of what the apostle here does not write. He does not write, let not sin dwell. Let not sin dwell is very different from let not sin reign. I want to use an illustration here. Think of a palace, and in that palace lives a treacherous prince, and that treacherous prince used to be king. He used to rule, but because of his wickedness, he was cast down from the throne and deposed, and a new king has come in his place, but that prince is still there. That prince, in the illustration, is sin. 
And the new king in the illustration is Jesus Christ. Sin has been deposed. Sin has been cast down from the throne of the believer. And Jesus Christ has come to rule. But that old prince called sin, he's still there. He still dwells in the palace, as it were. Perhaps he lurks in a corner of the palace, but he does not rule. But he wants to. He longs to. He schemes and he plots in order that he might. He will not simply say, well, I've been defeated. Jesus rules here. I better stop fighting. No, sin continues to fight like a treacherous prince trying to regain sovereignty in the palace. And so in the believer, there are two principles, you might say. There is sin, which used to rule and wants to rule again. And there is grace, Jesus Christ, who actually rules in the heart and life of the child of God. And because of that, there is a struggle. And the apostle goes on in chapter 7 to describe this struggle. Romans 7, verse 17. He says... Sin dwelleth in me. Notice, not sin reigneth in me, but sin dwelleth in me. And Romans seven eighteen, For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Again, dwelleth, not reigneth. And Romans seven twenty, Sin dwelleth in me. Again, not reigneth, but dwelleth. And again, Romans 7, 21, evil is present with me. Not ruleth or reigneth, but is present. And so sin does not reign in us. Sin was deposed, you might say, in us. But sin still dwells in us, is still present with us. And so there is this struggle in the child of God between sin and grace. Sin desires to have its position of dominance again. Sin tempts us. Sin pollutes us. Sin brings misery upon us. But sin does not rule, and sin may not rule. Let not sin reign. Where? The answer is in your mortal body. Sin desires to reign in our mortal body because sin reigns by lust. Verse 12 Let not sin reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. Lust, in the Bible, is a strong, burning, and usually wicked desire or longing. In chapter 7, verse 8, the apostle renders it this way, concupiscence. 
But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, or all kinds of sinful desires, all kinds of wicked yearnings and longings. Sin has its lusts. Sin within us yearns for that which God forbids. Sin within us abhors what God commands. Sin longs to dishonor and blaspheme God. Sin longs to hurt the neighbor. Sin, above all things, longs to serve itself. And when you feel those yearnings in your heart, those lusts in your heart, you can think about that prince who was deposed, who dwells and lurks in your heart and seeks dominance again. And all of us have our own particular lusts. You might be prone to pride. You might be prone to envy or selfishness or malice, spite and cruelty. You might be prone to sexual lusts or unrighteous anger or resentment or greed or deceit. All those kinds of lusts dwell in us to one degree or another. The issue is not, beloved, do you have lusts? Do you have lusts of the flesh? You do. We all have lusts of the flesh. But the issue is this. Do you obey them? Do you obey them? Do you yield to them? Do you give in to them? Do you gratify them? Do you feed them? Do you give them an occasion to express themselves in your life? And Paul says, let not sin reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it, obey sin, obey it in the lusts thereof, or in its lusts. That's how sin would rule. That's how sin would reign. When you obey it, in the lusts thereof. You have pride in your heart. Do not obey it by behaving arrogantly. You have envy in your heart. Do not obey it by seeking to destroy the one of whom you are envious or by dwelling upon your envy so that you become bitter. You have selfishness in your heart. Do not obey that selfishness by behaving in a selfish manner, by trampling over others to get your own way. You have malice and spite and cruelty in your heart. Do not obey those by speaking cruel, cutting words or by being violent toward others. 
You have sexual lusts in your heart. Do not obey them by watching pornography or by performing sexual sins. You have unrighteous anger in your heart or resentment in your heart. Don't obey those things by lashing out in anger against others. You have greed in your heart. Don't obey that greed by stealing or by hoarding. You have deceit in your heart. Don't obey that deceit by speaking lies. Instead of that, kill that sin within you. Crucify it, mortify it, deny it. Romans 8, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh, for if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But notice, if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Now, lust needs an outlet. Lust and sin, whose lust it is, needs an instrument through which it can express itself. Sin has lusts. Sin has desires. Sin then needs an instrument that it can use to express its lusts and desires. And the instrument that sin would like to use is our body and our body's members. Verse 12 speaks of your mortal body. And verse 13 speaks of your members. We have a mortal body. A body which is subject to death. A body which is dying. A body which is doomed to die. And sin rules or reigns in our mortal body when we yield our body with its members to its service. So verse 13, neither yield ye your members. And that word yield simply means to give, to give or to present to someone for his use, to put at someone's disposal. Think of that prince again, that prince lurking in the corner of the palace. He would like to attack the king and regain his position. He has these lusts, he has these desires, he wants these things to be fulfilled, but he needs an instrument with which he can fulfill his lusts and so someone comes to him and says to him, O prince, here is my sword. He yields his sword to that prince. 
Another comes and says, O prince, here is my spear. He yields his spear to the prince. A third one comes and says, here is my battle axe. He yields that to the prince. And now the prince, he has instruments with which he can then rebel against the king. And now says the apostle about the members of our body, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. An instrument of unrighteousness is simply an instrument with which we would perform unrighteousness or an instrument used in the service of unrighteousness. And unrighteousness is anything which is not in harmony with God's standard set forth in God's holy word, in God's holy law. Think of that deposed prince again. Sin in your heart. Sin is looking for instruments or weapons even in his warfare against Jesus Christ. Sin is looking for instruments with which to perform unrighteousness. And Paul says to us, do not yield them to him. Do not give instruments to him. Do not present them to him. Think of the instruments. Think of the members of your body. You have hands. Do not yield your hands to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. You have feet. Do not yield those feet to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. You have eyes and ears and many other parts of the body besides. Do not yield those things to sin as instruments of unrighteousness because when you do, you effectively commit treason against King Jesus. You are not to give to sin your body and its members. You are to give them, as we shall see, in the service of King Jesus. Verses 12 and 13a, they give us a prohibition. Do not do this. Verse 13b, then, is a positive command. But yield yourselves unto God. And again, yield your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Notice, beloved, there is no neutrality here. The apostle does not write... Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but serve yourselves. Serve yourselves with your body and with the members of your body. We might think along those lines at times in our life. We might say to ourselves, well, if I am not actively sinning with the members of my body, it is okay, God is pleased with that. 
you might say to yourself, I'm not actually using my hands for good, but I'm also not using them for evil. I'm just not using them at all. Or you might say, well, my feet are not employed in the service of evil, so that's okay if I do nothing with my feet. Or I'm not lying with my tongue, so I can do whatever I want with my tongue as long as I'm not actively sinning with my tongue. But don't forget, beloved, that if you serve anything else, rather than God, you serve sin. And there are sins, of course, of omission as well as commission. If your tongue is not praising God and blessing the neighbor, but doing nothing, you're sinning with your tongue. And if your hands are not busy obeying God and helping the neighbor, then you're sinning with your hands. And if your feet are not running in the way of God's commandments, you're sinning with your feet. If you're serving yourself and not actively serving God, you are sinning. And so the apostle puts it positively, but yield yourselves unto God. Again, the same word is used, yield Give yourself to God, present yourself to God, offer yourself to God, put yourself at God's disposal for his service. Yield yourselves unto God. Not just a little part of you unto God, but the whole of you unto God. Your whole life, yield it to God. All of your effort. Your whole heart and soul and mind, all of you, yield it unto God. In other words, the apostle here calls us to activity. Yielding is an activity. It's not this. Do not obey the lusts of sin. And do not yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. And then do nothing with your members. If you want a do-nothing religion, do not consider Christianity. Yes, it's true that Christianity teaches that we do nothing to be justified, we do nothing to be saved, but Christianity does not say that the Christian does nothing. The Christian life is not a life of doing nothing. The Christian life is a life of activity, of yielding oneself to God, of serving God, Actively, deliberately, and consciously. And just as sin 
uses and wants to use the members of our body to fulfill its lusts, so God is pleased to use our bodies and the members of our bodies in his service. And so he adds in verse 13, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Instruments of righteousness are instruments used to perform righteousness or instruments used in the service of righteousness and righteousness is that which is in harmony with God's standard this word righteousness is not imputed righteousness we often think of the word righteousness in terms of the imputation of Christ's righteousness in justification. But that's not the meaning here. We're here speaking of one who is already justified and now is using his body, is using the members of his body to perform, to perform righteousness, not to be justified, not to be saved, but in order to show his thanksgiving to God. That's how believers live. For example, Dorcas, in Acts 8.36, this woman we read was full of good works and alms deeds which she did. Here's Dorcas in the book of Acts. She's yielding the members of her body as instruments of righteousness unto God. What's she doing? We're told in the context, she is using her fingers to make garments for poor widows in the church. So she is yielding her fingers as instruments of righteousness unto God. That's our calling too. That's how we must view our body and the members of our body as instruments that God uses to perform righteousness in the world. And therefore, we must be willingly and actively and consciously yielding ourselves to God and giving ourselves and the members of our bodies in his service. Think of the many applications that flow from this verse. Go home and talk to your children about this verse. And ask them, children, what are the members of your body? Let's name some of the members of your body. And how can you use those members of your body to serve God? How can you use your hands to serve God or your feet to serve God or your tongue to serve God or your eyes or your ears or any other part of your body to serve God? Remind them, remind yourselves. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Our body belongs not to us, 
but to God through Christ Jesus who redeemed us body and soul and therefore our calling is to yield our body and all the members of our body in the service of our God. Perhaps you say though, I cannot do that. Perhaps you say to me, Sin is too alluring. I am tempted and I often fall into sin. I struggle against my sinful flesh day and daily. You can't expect me to do what the apostle requires me to do, to resist sin's lusts, not to yield myself to sin. That's impossible. And if you think that way, Consider the encouragement that the Apostle gives us here. The first encouragement is a promise. A promise in verse 14. Sin shall not have dominion over you. Sin shall not have dominion over you. Verse 12 has a command, let not sin reign. And we all know, of course, a command in the Bible does not imply ability. It simply expresses what our duty is. But verse 14, the apostle says, sin shall not have dominion over you. That's a promise. Not a command, but a promise. And that tells us then, beloved, that the outcome of this spiritual battle against sin is not uncertain. It's not a hopeless quest with no guarantee of success. The outcome is sure. Sin shall not have dominion over you. Reigning, having dominion, is almost the same thing. Reigning is the activity of a king. Having dominion is the activity of a lord. Sin shall not lord it over you. Sin shall not exercise lordship over you. Sin shall not be your master. The second encouragement concerns our status. Our status. Not under the law, but under grace. There is, of course, confusion about those words. Those words are often twisted and perverted. To be not under the law here does not mean that we do not have to obey God's commandments. We're not free to worship idols or to blaspheme God or to kill or commit adultery or to steal or to bear false witness against our neighbor. That's clear from the very next verse. Shall we sin that because we are not under the law, God forbids. Rather, it means this. If you are not under the law, 
you are free from the law's condemnation, free from the law's dominion, free from the law's curse. And therefore, sin shall not have dominion over you. But rather, you're under grace. To be under grace is to be the object of God's favor. To know oneself to be the object of God's favor. Because one is in Jesus Christ. And if you are not under the law, but under grace, then sin shall not have dominion over you. And the third encouragement is a reminder of who we are. We have a promise, we have a status, and we have an encouragement, a reminder of who we are. Verse 13, as those that are alive from the dead. Paul here is not writing to those who are dead in sin. Then it would be hopeless Paul is writing to those who are alive from the dead. They died to sin because they are in Jesus Christ. They are alive in Jesus Christ because Christ rose again from the dead for them. They are alive from the dead. And if one is alive from the dead then in that person, sin may not reign or rule. And so really the conclusion is simple. Be who you are. That's how the apostle argues here. Be who you are. You have died to sin. Therefore, let not sin reign in your mortal body. Therefore, do not obey sin's lusts. You are alive from the dead by the power of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Therefore, serve him. Serve him with your body. Serve him with the members of your body. For that, beloved, is our reasonable service. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we thank thee that we have been delivered from the power of sin and death, that we have been given new life in Jesus Christ. And give us grace, O Father, to fight against our sin and to yield ourselves not unto sin, but unto thee, our God, and to yield the members of our body as instruments of righteousness unto thee. For Christ's sake, amen.